I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the MVP show. Today I'm having a chat with Tobias and learning from him his journey to becoming a Microsoft Business Application MVP and more recently recategorizing or holding a double category in Azure as an MVP as well. As always, full show notes can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 219. Now let's get on with the show. Tobias, welcome to the MVP show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, I feel kind of uh, a, a bit daunting having you on the show, being that you're a professional podcaster yourself. Isn't that right? Yeah, well, uh, professional, absolutely not. <laughs> it's just a hobby. Um, doing a bit of podcasting there uh, on a on a completely different domain in sports. But yeah, you're right. I'm, I've do, I've been doing this for a couple of years now. Awesome. So tell us a bit about a bit about what your uh, pod, what's the name of your podcast and what's it about. Actually, I'm just a part of a bigger one. It's called Sports Radio 360 uh, DE because it's the German one. Um, with a couple of, of English content as well, but usually it's German, and um, they cover all the different sports. Germany is very, very soccer-heavy, but they try to to cover all the sports. So at some point, they ask for people um, if they want to join in um, and and uh, be part of the show as well. So I volunteered to cover the local professional basketball, basketball team, which is um, competing on the highest German level. So um they they ask for people who want to go out and interview players and interview coaches and, and the commentators so that's what i usually do after the uh, the local basketball games in the uh, professional german league i go out and uh, ask the commentators a couple of questions and players and coaches and then it, that ends up at sports radio 360. so tell us a bit about where in the world you're located and uh and what do you do for a job it's uh, the south of Germany, um, a city called Ulm, which is between Munich and Stuttgart, which are the, the two two bigger cities uh, near me. Ulm itself is a rather small town, 100,000 inhabitants, something like that. Um, and um, yeah, again, it's southern Germany. And um, as a job, I'm the CTO for Cosmo Consult, which is a worldwide um, Microsoft Dynamics 365 partner. Mainly focus is uh, Germany, but also um, LATAM. So... That's that's where where we're located and what we're doing. Interesting. I've got a nephew that actually lives in Stuttgart. Ah, okay. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, tra- he's gone there. I don't know about. He's must have been there over a year now. His wife is in the pharmaceutical industry, and she got she got um, headhunted out of Australia up up to up to Germany. So yeah, she's on a yeah, I think on a three year contract with a big pharmaceutical company there. So yeah, interesting, interesting. You're at the CTO, is that right? Exactly, yes. And you've been in that role for a couple of different companies that I can see, um, you know, looking at LinkedIn. What does a CTO do? Well, I'm I'm usually taking care of um the base technology. So I think there are a couple of different um, definitions of what CTOs do, and then there's the CIO role that's that's sometimes uh, kind of similar. But I usually um, interpret it in a way that I'm I'm taking care of the base technology, you know, um, 
the technical side, of course, understanding what is happening there, driving um, connections to Microsoft as well, trying to drive the technology development there, giving feedback, giving input, um, and also helping people internally who, who have uh, trouble to understand where the strategy is going, where Microsoft is moving. And so, yeah, kind of understanding and, and sharing the insights into what is happening there. And then, of course, um, talking with customers, helping in, in customer projects, being it in, in sales and pre-sales situations or when um, the project is up and running and people are running into issues or whatever. I like it. I like it. Now, before we, we get uh, you know too much into the detail of, of you being an MVP and, and the multiple areas that you have that in, tell me when you're not working, what is, you know, you, you've obviously you're into your basketball, but uh, tell us a bit about your family and what you like doing in the, in, 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 in the town or city you live in. Yeah, well, my, my family is two small kids, and one is four and one is eight, two boys. Um, so I try to spend a lot of time with them if possible. Um, and then it's sports, as you said, basketball, playing it myself, but I'm really a very bad player, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, watching basketball and then for, an, for active sports, it's more uh, tennis. I've been doing that since, well, like 30 years now. Um, and then other sports like uh, jogging and fitness and that stuff. But I, I try to stay mainly with my family because um, the job is demanding a lot of time and there's there's not a lot of free time um, apart from the job. So I try to spend as much as possible with my family. Nice, nice. And how is how has this COVID situation affected your business and lifestyle? Well, um, I've been changing companies in October last year, so it's uh, a bit more than half a year now. And I started in, in the home office. I've never done that before. So that was a big change, um, apart from obviously changing the company, but moving from a traditional office setting to a home office setting. And it took me a couple of weeks to get started there, to be honest, but then it, it felt very comfortable. So the big change for a lot of people was moving to the home office. And for me, actually, I had done that a half a year ago and, and was really set up and, and comfortable. So that didn't change too much. Um, I was traveling a lot, seeing the different the different locations and entities that are part of Cosmo Consult. So um, I actually had done too much traveling in, in November, uh, December, January, February, uh, which made a lot of sense to get to know each other and, and understand each other. But then um, it was good to to cut down on the traveling a bit. So actually, uh, on the work side, on the business side, it, it feels not that bad for me. Um, we do see, of course, that, that business is slowing down a bit, but it hadn't hit, a, hit us uh, that bad yet. Um, and I hope it keeps that way, of course, as we're seeing companies opening up again and that stuff. So I would hope that um, it doesn't have too much of an impact. Of course, there has been an impact, but it, it wasn't too worse at the, um, until mm, now. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so tell us a bit about um, the your business applications MVP, correct? Exactly, business applications coming from a NAV and Business Central background. For a lot of years, I've been working on a company that that um, only did NAV, and now Cosmo Consult is uh, working across the whole Dynamics 365 um, portfolio. Actually, also Microsoft 365 and Azure. And um, that was a good fit as I also had um, become an Azure MVP last year. So I was a business applications MVP. Now I'm also an Azure Azure MVP. So that's kind of a good fit. And um, it makes sense because I'm, I'm looking at base technology most of the time and I'm doing that for the business applications as well. So I'm I'm able to post an invoice, but that's maybe as far as I can go <laughs> in, a, in a business central client. So there's not too much I can do on the functional side, but really on the technical side. 
Um, so that's what made sense for uh, going for the Azure MVP as well. And um, that, that's a good fit right now. And so how do you juggle and, and like, what's the difference to being um, an MVP in a single category as, uh, as opposed to being in a dual category now? What, what's uh, the fundamental difference? Well, I think uh, the most important thing for me is to always think about the kind of contributions I do. You know, when I um, try to secure a speaker spot at a uh, at a conference or something like that, I always try to make sure that it it works for for both sides. So, if I'm doing something for business applications, then I try to uh, sprinkle in a bit of Azure as well. I'm trying to see how it runs on Azure or some technical stuff I can put in. And if I'm if I'm doing something on the Azure side, I try to make sure that uh, the uh, example that I'm using is something that's coming from the business application side. So, of course, I'm doing a lot of things that are only for for NAV or Business Central or CRM or whatever on, on the business application side, um, and also some things that are only uh, on the on the Azure side. But if possible, I try to combine those two to make sure that it's it's easier to bring in the contributions that you need to stay an MVP. Yeah, 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 and so. Tell me about, you know, your journey to becoming an MVP. How did it start off, um, your nomination process, that type of thing? You've been an MVP, what, coming up four years now? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that was that was kind of interesting because I saw other MVPs. I, I started blogging and uh, doing a bit more, and I thought, well, um, I think there's still something missing, but I actually don't know what it takes to become an MVP. I um, uh, Luke van Vogt, uh, one of the Business Central MVPs for a very long time. He was working for a time at the same uh, company group that I was working. So I was in contact with him. I knew him. I I had at that time, and I still have the utmost respect for him and the others. But it felt like, well, let's see how far I can go. And um, it was kind of difficult. I, I reached out to a couple of contacts inside Microsoft and asked them, what do I need to do and that kind of stuff. But to be honest, no one could really tell me. I mean, there's the... The, the website um, that says some things, but not what are the hard requirements and, and would I fit in there. So I decided, well, just let's give it a try and then I will get some feedback. This is missing, that is missing, and then I can make a decision if I want to uh, tackle those and, and work toward becoming an MVP. Um, and that was rather a journey. Uh, I think at that time, the, the nomination process wasn't handled too well. So I had to send in like three nominations to get an answer. But the answer then was welcome to the MVP program. So <laughs> um, that, that was the story. I tried to find out how to uh, what the requirements are, and then I, I actually got uh, accepted already. That's that's my story there. So so it was worth the persisting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> did did anything change for you from a career perspective um, or personal? Um, when you became an MVP, or even in hindsight, you know, since being an MVP for some time, in reflection, what are you? What are your thoughts um, on the program and and the value that it's added to you as a vid individual, and of course, the value you create in the community? Well, I think as an as an individual, is very nice to get to know people who are let's say as enthusiastic as yourself on a pro, uh, on a on a product or product group or whatever so that that really made a change to me because of course i had my colleagues who are also um working on the same area and and, and uh, thinking and talking about that but having kind of a broader network of of specialists on the same area that that made a change to me i i think it made me more enthusiastic and um enjoyed even more to to work on that side um 
And then from a business perspective, I've been working for the last company for a very long time. In the end, I, I ended up there at um, almost 12 or 13 years. So I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, of course, but I don't think it made a big difference um, in my last company. I, I was kind of at the, um, at the same level before becoming MVP, so that, that didn't change a lot. But I'm kind of sure that um, the um, part of becoming or changing to the new company was being an MVP already. I think that makes a difference. Um, looking back, I, I talked to a couple of different companies when I made the change and being an MVP, being a dual MVP at that point of time, um, that made a difference in the discussions because you you kind of don't have to prove that you're good at what you're doing or you're a specialist in the area because that's that's obvious. You have some kind of an external validation of your skill and um, your community contribution and the, the type of work that you do. So I would say that's the biggest difference from a business perspective. Um, and then, of course, the connections to Microsoft, the insights you get from the product group interactions and um, being part of the MVP summit was awesome for the two times that I had the chance to go there. So, yeah. Maybe the last time you, you've had a chance to go there, eh? Because I, I, I'm just wondering if they'll ever run them in person again. Well, it's it's an interesting time for sure with a lot of things that are changing. But I would guess that they do it because at least to me, while the uh, virtual one was, of course, very good and amazing to to um, to organize it the way they did, being kind of the first big Microsoft conference that happened only virtually. So that was, that was amazing. And, and I don't want to say anything bad about it, but I really feel like with the amount of things that Microsoft is doing out in the open already, you know, open source development that you can follow pretty closely. Um, and then the amount of information that's coming through PGIs and other virtual events already, it's, I don't know, but I think really the, the, main, the main differentiating thing for the MVP summit is that you actually get to meet the people and talk with them and have one-to-one -one interactions or group discussions and that kind of thing. And, and that, that didn't really happen, at least for me in the virtual conference. So I think there is a lot of added value still. I mean, let's see how COVID changes the way we think about traveling and we think about uh, all that stuff. And it might be that it that it changes, but I would think it, it still is a very valuable proposition to have an in-person event. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned PGIs, which stands for Product Group Interactions. Exactly. For those, for the, for, that's, that's all right. It's just for folks that are not MVPs having a listen to this. And this is, of course, when we get to a, a chat with Microsoft product team members, often under NDA, mostly under NDA. Now, in the, you, you would have the ability to, because uh, you sit across two groups, the Azure and, and the BizApp side of things. Do you notice any difference in the cadence of PGIs between those two groups and the flow of information? Like, is there an obvious difference in engaging on the Azure side as opposed to engaging on the BizApp side with the product teams? Well, I think the, the most obvious or the, the biggest difference is that the, um, the Azure side is a lot more people. I think there are a couple of hundred MVPs. And then on the business, business application side, it's like, 25 or 30 um, strictly in the NAV side where I'm, I'm mostly listening to. And then there's more for the others, of course. Um, but it's it's a lot more closely knit and you know everyone. You've, you've probably met everyone at some point of time. And um, it's, it's more of a, of a closer connection there because the, um, the lead on the NAV side also is doing a very, very good job in, in keeping everyone engaged and um, trying to find out what the interest is and scheduling very interesting PGIs. You, probably know the people who are talking from having met them personally as well and 
of course, with the size of the Azure program, there's a lot more content coming. There's a lot more people that are invited to the PGIs and that are actually joining. So it's more of an, so to speak, official setting. And, and you don't usually get a one-to-one -one, um, discussion or little group discussions, but it's usually more of a, of a wider audience. And of course, that works also very well. And it's very valuable content that's coming there, but it's, it's kind of a different feeling because it's such a, um, such a bigger group. You know, one of one of the things that that uh, we renew against is the is the content or the contribution we make to the wider community. Um, when you think of contributions you you make to the community, kind of what areas do you focus on um, from a contribution perspective? Well, it's usually the the technology stuff. So, um, as I said before, it's not functional. It's not um, sharing tips and tricks how to use stuff or something like that. But it's really um, sharing open source projects that I created, sharing ideas, um, concepts, how to use technology, how to bring Azure and business applications together. And um, really, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm wondering how many people are um, actually reading that or the amount of feedback that I'm getting, because it feels like I'm, I'm really focusing on deep down technical details that not a lot of people would be interested in just because it's it's not their job, it's not their their business. So um, but still, there seems to be quite an audience that is um, watching this and giving feedback and um, uh, sending sending ideas for improvement or whatever. So um, mainly, I'm I've started off with using Docker containers a lot. Um, I still think that the first Business Central or at that time NAV server running in a Docker container was running in my basement um, because I looked at this before Microsoft was was looking at it. And then it kind of took off and Microsoft also started to have interest. And there was a, a guy from the Czech Republic who also um, had interested uh, uh, had interest in there. And we had that discussion before Microsoft. And um, yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure if uh, Jakub, uh, Jakub Vanek is the guy from the Czech Republic, if he was the one who had the first running or I was the one. But that kind of is where my, my technology um, sharing started off because I had a feeling like there must be someone else who's working on the same things and let's share it and see. And, and indeed it happened that someone else was coming across it and we got into a connection there. Wow. Well, what, what was the journey like across NAV and then Business Central coming out? And there was quite a difference. What was that journey like navigating it from your perspective, not just with yourself, but also with customers? Well, that actually happened while I was with my previous company, and uh, that one is is focusing on uh, public institutions. So it's uh, cities and communities and um, local areas and, and the, the, the government institutions there. And, you know, the it's kind of cliche, but it's still true. They are not the, the fast adopting ones. So it really was kind of a big change. And, and with the big change coming from 2009 to 2013, where we, were, where we were a bit late and then um, already a change again with a new client. Um, we were kind of, well, we, we needed to sell it well to our customer, let's put it that way, so they understand what really the benefits are and um, why we are moving forward and why it makes sense. And when you look at it and you can explain it to customers, then they usually see the benefits, especially with the new development model. But it's a change and I guess it's only human that, that people don't like change that much usually. Um, so you have to sell it and, and make them understand what the benefits are because I really like the direction that, that Microsoft is taking there. I, I like where they are moving. It maybe is not always exactly the way that I think they should move, but that's that's also um, clearly natural. 
And sometimes I'm wondering if, if it's enough speed or if it's too much speed. And that, that also can be a discussion. But overall, I really like the, the, the direction that Microsoft is taking with the product. Nice, nice. What advice do you, would you give to, if someone came to you today and said, listen, you know, just like you said that back that time ago that, you know, you didn't know how to become an MVP and it was hard to find a how-to or anything. What type of advice do you give to folks these days that ask you that question? How do I become an MVP? What, what are the kind of the, the, the recommendations that you would make to them? Well, I think it's most important that you do things that are clearly visible and, and ex you can ex uh, externally validate. I had a, a colleague who was really working a lot on the Office 365 stuff, um, and he was asking me the same question, but unfortunately, he almost um, exclusively did his stuff internally. It was a huge a huge company he was working for, but um, so he really had an impact. And I think in a way, what he did was, was very valid and uh, would have been worth an MVP, but it all happened internally. So Microsoft didn't have any way to validate the, the contributions that he did. So my advice would be, if you're doing something, make sure that it's externally visible, that um, you share it externally and Microsoft can validate what you're actually doing. Um, and I think it's important to not just repeat stuff you know, there are a couple of people out, out there who just um, take a lot of information and, and um, then just retweet it or put it in their blog post or whatever. And that's valuable to a degree of, uh, as well, of course. But I really think it's, it's important to have genuine content and um, uh, bring something new to the community and, and uh, help on the technology or functional side wherever you are and make sure that you're providing something that someone else hasn't provided already. Um, I think those would be the two areas that I would focus on. Excellent. And when you talk about being visible and visibility, what, like, what platforms or how, you know, from a practical point of view, how do you be visible? I mean, I started my my blog as a public blog, um, as part of our company network. And in hindsight, that that wasn't a clever idea because when I changed companies, I had to restart again. Um, but um, that would be the one advice. Make sure that you you are publicly seen through a blog or whatever. And then, of course, be active on the social networks um, with probably the most the most uh, useful ones being Twitter and LinkedIn at the moment. Um, make sure you're seen there. There is, yeah, the usual hashtags that give you some kind of visibility. And then um, try to find people who are willing to retweet or share share your stuff um, that are maybe more visible at the moment, and then you can uh, start to gain visibility. And I mean, listen to feedback. Um, I had a couple of, of things that I shared in the beginning where there wasn't a lot of feedback or people said, mm, I, I didn't really understand where you're going there. And um, that's also, I think, very important to understand that that people reading something might not be on the same technology level or don't have the same experience that you have. So. Make sure you're explaining things and make it easy to understand what you're doing, even if it's something complicated. Um, I've adopted, I think, quite early the idea to always have a, a TLDR in the beginning, so too lazy didn't read, to make sure that people can like take a 30-second um, overview of what I'm writing about and then make a good decision if they want to have the details. And then the details are, are very detailed, of course, because you, you want to provide some deep content there as well. Um, but I think that that is a mixture that has worked for me very well to make sure that people can can understand easily what I'm talking about and then go into the details if they want. I like it. I like it. 
Alrighty, look at that. Time's already flowing. Let's uh, let's wrap up with some quick fire questions. These are not necessarily about being an MVP, but just a life in general. So are you ready? Okay, yeah. Okay, would you rather live in an apartment in the city or a mansion in the country? Mansion in the country. Mm-hmm. What was the first thing you remember buying with your own money? I think probably a music CD. Mm, okay. Was it a CD or a yeah, it was a CD or a, or a tape? Okay, wow. <laughs> what, what's the what's the best thing about the opposite gender? Having a different perspective on life. Nice, nice. What are the top three things on your bucket list? Wow, that's a tough one. I I don't actually have one. Fair enough. Fair enough. If you could go back in time, what one thing would you tell your teenage self? Probably uh, keep going. It will work out eventually. <laughs> mm, nice. No, I get it. Who would you like to play in a movie? A professional basketball player. Nice. Nice. Tobias, it's been great having you on the show. If people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? That would be um, Tobias Fenster on, on Twitter and uh, the same on LinkedIn. That's where I usually share my content. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that show. Full show notes can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 219. If you're interested in getting your career on track, maybe you want to consider the 90-day mentoring challenge. It's free mentoring that I run for a period of 90 days each year. More than 200 people enrolled in 2020, and I've opened registrations for 2021. So if you're interested, go to nz365guy.com forward slash 90 day MC or just go to the website and on the navigation you can see mentoring and you can put in your details there so once I launch the next intake uh, you can get involved as I said full show notes can be found at inside 365guy.com forward slash 219 see you next time